And you're very welcome along. It uh, signals the start of gardening, in a way anyway, for the autumn season. Uh, not quite the gardening programme this morning, but we're focusing specifically on a very special live wildlife programme. And we're joined in the studio by uh, Pori Corkin and Aina Nilauna. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Good morning. Deirdre. You're Good very morning, welcome listeners. along. And the start of Heritage Week this morning. Absolutely. And lots and lots of uh, different events going on right throughout Mayo. But in, in Castlebar for Saturday and Sunday, we've decided to do a wildlife feature. And who better to bring along than Enelie Launa? So we've got t- today in particular, we've got some really good talks starting at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock, all about wildlife. Isn't that right, Anna? That's right, yeah, because I'm hoping to... It, although you're, it's a garden centre, I'm hoping to point out the whole aspect of wildlife in the garden. Now, I know I have been accused of describing gardening as an unnatural practice, <laughs> where you take what lives there and banish it and bring in foreign things and then consider when the rightful occupiers come back, they're called pests and weeds and things like this. But um, it's not all warfare in the sense that much of the wildlife in the garden is actually there for good. They're not all eating your cabbages and plants. We've got herbivores and carnivores and my enemies enemies are my friends so anything that's going to eat those nasty herbivores are going to be your friends so in your garden you want to be encouraging the carnivores the things that are going to eat the caterpillars that are going to eat the slugs and snails rather than putting out poisons for them which is no way of going on altogether so this is what I'll be saying in in um, Turlock later on today how we can have lovely gardens and plenty of things growing there but nonetheless have it a haven for wildlife as well that's it I suppose it's really looking at from uh, the point of view of um, I suppose maybe a more holistic way of gardening. Yeah. Would that well, be a fair way of saying it? Well the birds in particular are, are probably one of the great additions to any garden not only the uh, thing of beauty and it's great to attract them into the garden but they're great for hoovering up the caterpillars and, and all other what we team, can term some pests at, at times but the slugs and the snails and the caterpillars are the birds just relish those right through the, the summer and autumn period. So I suppose really the talk will be about encouraging wildlife in its broadest sense into the the garden and see how we can get that balance between um, a nice garden the art of gardening and and looking after the, the garden wildlife as well to get that eco balance I suppose you yeah, know, well so. the garden should be a place that you enjoy I mean after all people who are gardening are not necessarily intensive farmers who must raise food at all costs for mm-hmm. people to eat I mean gardening is more a leisurely occupation so that as well as growing your plants and getting lovely food you should be able to enjoy how nice it looks you should be able to enjoy what it sounds like all of the senses should be appeased by your garden, not just your sense of taste, but the other ones, so that it doesn't have to be warfare the way maybe intensive farming has to be because of the millions of people on earth that have to be fed. But on, in your garden, you don't have to poison things. You're not going to drop dead if one carrot is eaten or one slug has gobbled up other things in your garden. It's the price you pay then for having birds, for having bird song, for having lovely things to look at. And, and of course, then planting things that are going to encourage wildlife. They might necessarily be eating like different trees and ones with berries and ones with nuts and ones with flowers and this sort of thing is all essential. Yeah, so it's not necessarily all about the aesthetics, although obviously we like to have things looking pretty at the same time, but to have a variety and and things to do as well. I I suppose as as a country, as people, are are we getting more back into wildlife or, you know, what is our general, what's your general opinion of uh, how we view wildlife in this country? 
I know I'm so old. Me and Finn McCool were around. And certainly, <laughs> not true. Go on. Certainly, it's 1995 we started the wildlife show on RTE One with Derek Mooney, mm. which is 20 years ago, and it was six weeks in the summertime. Because how could you possibly do wildlife on the radio? Mm. I mean, nobody was going to see anything, and sure, we'd be all fed up talking about them after six weeks when the summer would be over. Real people can come back with real programs, and we're still there. We're on an hour and a half now on for Friday, so obviously the thing has has gone on very much. It's certainly, um, there's a huge amount of knowledge about wildlife. When I started work, I started work in the 1970s and I worked in the Irish Biological Records Centre, mm-hmm. which was actually making distribution maps of plants and animals so that we could inform local authorities when planning um, county development plans and things that areas could be preserved for wildlife. And in those days, people knew so very little about wildlife that, in fact, instead of making maps of records sent in by people, mm-hmm. I had to actually go out and run courses and educate people into what things we actually had in Ireland and what we didn't have. And that's like 30 years, 40, 40 years ago now, in actual fact, where where um, now in 1999, they revised the curriculum and they brought it all into school so that primary schools, they still call it the curriculum new, but 1999 is what, 15 years ago now again so that half a teacher's life has been spent teaching this. But if you think, when I went to school and people my age, I mean, this didn't, wasn't taught in school, so people who are of a certain age, like over 50, would actually not have learned anything about wildlife mm. at all in school. So therefore it's very interesting because people think, oh isn't that great, children should know about this and children should know about that, because they didn't know as children, whereas the children could give courses in this now because they're learning it in school. The curriculum has been so well advised. We've got you know, revised, we've got um, uh, living things, we've got um, environmental awareness. These are all subjects taught in school by teachers who have been trained in this respect. So it's the adults who don't know about the wildlife and they're the ones that think it's something for children, whereas, you know, it's 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 um, taking off in leaps and bounds and people are much more interested. And the other thing then you see is that with um, mobile phones and with the internet and things like this. People can take pictures of things that they see and send them off to somebody and find out what it, what is. it is. And that increases your interest enormously. Before, if you didn't know what it was, you think, oh God, I never saw that and what it is. End of story. Yeah. But now you can take a picture of it, you can send it off, you can find out what it is and what it does and what will it do to you and how you get rid of it and all of this <laughs> thing that I don't count in at all. Yeah. Well, we're also seeing it from the from the gardening programme, dear day. You know, the amount of people that are growing their own fruit and vegetables and herbs and they're very conscious about what they're, if they are, if they want to get rid of caterpillars or whatever, how they're going about that. So there's a far more awareness about wildlife and the beneficial insects in particular and encouraging wildlife into the garden. And we see that regularly, even the, even the bees, the amount of, of uh, beekeepers that have sprung up over the last five or six years, the whole interest in, in, in looking after bees and uh, creating a wildlife habitat for bees. So we're constantly seeing a huge interest in wildlife and people are far more conscious about what they're putting mm-hmm. on their food, how they're, how they're gardening and, you know, that whole word organics, they're looking for treatments that are a lot more, less invasive and a lot safer and companion planting, all of those sort of terminologies have come in the last certainly seven or eight years. So I've seen a huge shift in the interest from 10 years ago, people would have sprayed their plants with anything. Yes, just to have them looking. Yeah, yeah. whereas today they're far more conscious about uh, the product that they're eating, what they're growing and um, what they're using on, on to keep their plants healthy. And, and, and Yeah, they're also aware of the different varieties of things that you can plant. So you can plant lovely tomatoes that taste much nicer than the things you buy in the shop, mm. which are grown by commercial farmers mm-hmm. for size and marketing and, and all this. Yeah. And for looks, yeah. No, well, not, no, not even well, for looks in the shop, but I mean for, for cropping. Whereas if you have fewer tomatoes 
off your plant you're going to be more taste off yes. rather than stretching your plant to death which commercial people have to do and similarly with carrots you dig them up when they're little and they taste very carroty yes. as opposed to exactly. you know being lanched out and yeah. things like this so, yeah. so that is a consequence people's tastes are developing to get you know fresh things you pull the beetroots when you want them mm-hmm. rather than buying a jar of pickled stuff I mean the revelation of boiling a fresh beetroot and having it not pickled in a jar with a bit more vinegar it's not the same we used to hate beetroot as yeah. so anybody could eat neat beetroot or which was neat vinegar essentially and it's it's such a lovely plant if you buy it and you know if you grow it in your garden and then you can have they're not all red you can get orange ones gold ones all kinds of things really nice so that that's so being aware then that these things that you grow them you harvest them freshly are lovely and tasty you're not then going to be spraying gallons of poisons on them then because you're going to be eating those too they don't go away in the rain they're absorbed into the plant and people don't want to be eating those either so it's a whole new movement and it's wonderful Okay. I, I was just saying to Enya that, Enya that I was in uh, Keeling's fruit farm last week and so they grow peppers commercially Yes. and the crop I think they grow it for about seven months of the year but naturally with peppers you can have aphids and you have caterpillars that can attack them but they're using totally organic they're actually using parasitic uh, creatures wasps to, I think wasps they, and, yeah. and a range of different um parasitic insects that actually eat the harmful insects as it were so oh. they, they're very conscious about the non-use of, of chemicals on their produce yes, it's really gross what happens is you have the caterpillars <laughs> and they're eating your plants yes. and you get this acumenin wasp which is not like any of the regular wasps it's a long skinny thing and the wasp actually lays its eggs in the caterpillars and then okay. they hatch out and they eat the caterpillars from the inside so out so when you say the word warfare Anna, you're not you're, not, you're not messing but the, the acumenin wasps don't actually eat your plants so I mean yeah. you're, you're, this is what so oh. it's by Warfare. They do that with nematodes in the soil too. That's right. to which we, we've to, talked about quite a bit attack, on. To yeah. attack slugs and this, so that it's, it's it's set a thief to catch a thief rather than oh. put down poisons to exactly. do it. Okay, I wasn't aware of that with Keelings. Um, yeah. I know they're quite a, I suppose, a success story from an enterprise point of view as from well. The commercial side, yeah. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Although, although an interesting thing, I, you, I was asking you how they managed to get the um, the peppers to f- set fruit because peppers are, um, you get flowers and the flowers have to be pollinated yes. mm-hmm. and peppers are really a warm, a warm country Con- plant, so they have them in their glass houses in their tunnels in their plastic clay houses so you need to get the insects in to pollinate the flowers and you were telling me what were you telling me yeah the, well, the, the, interesting they bring in bumblebees they bring in boxes of bumblebees oh. in early spring and put them into the greenhouses and of course there's a, a natural food source then for the for the bumblebee with all the pollen from the from the pepper plants so the bees are going around pollinating the the peppers right through the summer period and i mean there was the the, the pepper plants were probably 10 feet, 12 feet tall when I was there. Now, we would normally grow a pepper plant on the windowsill. It'll only be two feet high yeah. at best. You'd be very six, proud. Do well to get six, six yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And a sense were, of achievement, yeah. These were 10 foot pepper plants with maybe 20 fruit on them uh, and they, they were going to grow another five feet uh, wow. over the, 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 the rest of the autumn period. Oh, yeah, so it's very yeah. interesting to see the it. Bees so. are really important because mm, they collect hugely. pollen for the first three weeks of their lives to feed their young and they collect nectar for the second three weeks in order to make honey from the nectar and then they die of exhaustion. So when someone tells you you're as busy as a bee, <laughs> you really don't want to be that busy. You're worn out. <laughs> you're worn out. So, so that, I mean, as a consequence of having uh, the varroa mite, which I'm sorry to tell you was brought into Ross Common in 1990s oh. by a um, new age community of tra- travelling oh. people coming over new age people who brought over honeybee hives from Britain with the varroa mite in it which they shouldn't have done because they're all these are all meant to be brought in properly and imported yeah. and the varroa mite was attached to the legs of these honeybees and it sucks their blood and it spread from those in Ross Common all over the country now we have no wild colonies of 
honeybees at all. So if people don't keep honeybees in hives, they're escaping to the wild as swarms. In two years, they're gone, killed by the varroa. So the the people who keep the beekeepers have to are, are able to manage their yeah. bees to make yeah. sure that the varroas aren't attached to them. But in the wild, they're overwhelmed. And when you think that um, a honeybee nest, a honeybee would have maybe 40,000 bees, mm. whereas your bumblebees that we're talking about, the colonies of them are only two or 3,000 yeah. because they don't overwinter. Honeybees overwinter, you see, because they don't hibernate and they have to make loads of honey in order to f- keep them going during the winter time, yes. so we snitch their honey, and that's how we get honey from honeybees. I mean, the bumblebees make honey as well, but they only have a colony during the summer. They all die when the autumn comes, except the, the mate queen. queen, and then she'll start the colony up again next year. So it's a much smaller concern. So by losing so many of our honeybees, it has been a really big problem. So, the, so it's interesting that it's the bumblebees, the keelings we're using up in Dublin, and the interesting thing is that we really, really want more people to keep honeybees because there's such a deficit of them now in the last 10 years which is so unfortunate and, and they're essential for pollination yeah. that's what they do if you want plenty of fruit in your garden or you want you know, any, anything that buries is it's down to the, the, the bees that come along and pollinate the, the flowers in early springtime so they're an essential part of the ecocycle Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, We are opening up phone lines for questions and I know we have some in already because uh, we want to draw on as much expertise as we have in the studio. Um, And we'll be talking about bees and flowers and plants that attract them into the garden, but specifically as well, uh, the wild birds. So if you have a question for Aina and Porik this morning, please text us in as quickly as possible. 087 41 with thanks to C&C Cellular. Teresa is busy taking calls uh, on phones this morning busy as a bee literally on 0818 3055 or you can email garden at midwestradio.ie You're very welcome back to our special gardening wildlife programme uh, happening today. And uh, Aina Nilauna is with us and Porik Horkin is with us. And uh, of course, Porik, uh, a big uh, event on in Horkins later on this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, well, Aina is going to be giving a talk at 12 o'clock and 2 o'clock later today on wildlife. And uh, you're, you've heard her enthusiasm already this morning. So she's going to give lots of tips and advice. And she was saying to me earlier that if people have anything they'd like identified, so if they have any creepy crawly or any little pet, not pest, but any creepy yeah. quality in the they're garden. They're not pests they're anymore. Not pests. That's, the, that's the wrong <laughs> terminology. Bring, bring it in today and we'll identify it. And tomorrow then we have the birds of prey coming along. So that's going to be very interesting. It's a demonstration of various different types of birds of prey. They're going to be flighted uh, demonstrations yeah. a couple of times during the day. I think at two o'clock and five o'clock. Uh, but people will be able to come and talk to the um, the instructors. There'll be a number of them there tomorrow. And what species have you? They have. Uh, they're going to have uh, some of the hawks, sparrow hawks, some of the owls. Um, I think they might be bringing one of the eagles as well. That's, that's yeah, so there's quite yeah. a range of yeah. birds tomorrow. So that's in, in Turlock, in the garden centre, from uh, from 12 o'clock on. But they'll be actually flighting the, bur- the birds mm-hmm. at 2 and 5 o'clock. And, and the other th- aren't you yeah, sort of getting a competition going as well? We are. We've, we have yeah. a special competition for school. The schools, of course, are going back to school, aren't they, next week? They are, apparently. So from the 1st of September right through to the 20th of October, we have a competition running for schools to encourage them to record to do a survey on the wildlife within the school area oh, or at home. They can they can either complete the form for either the, the 
the wildlife at home or in the school garden. So that's available on horkins.ie. So if you click onto the website, yeah. on the blog page, there you can download a survey form and uh, we're looking for people to identify as many wildlife species as they can over a seven-day period. So they can record, the, either look out the, the kitchen window or look out the school window and record as many animals and insects and wildlife, wild birds as possible over the seven-day period. And they just drop back the uh, form into, into Hawkins and we'll be giving a, a great prize for the school. It's going to be a uh, a wildlife uh, complete pack for, for wildlife uh, for wild birds in particular for the schools. So it's in, going to include a bird table, bird feeding station all the seeds and nuts that you're going to need to attract the birds in over the winter period. Brilliant. So it's so, kind of like a school survey really. It, it's a school survey yeah, and it's really again, as Aina was saying, to get children involved in uh, in wildlife and wild birds in particular and to encourage them to start maybe putting up some feeders over the winter period uh, as part of the educational programme to see how many species of birds you can attract to the garden. Yeah, it's great because they can look out the window when they're not out in the yard and see all the birds but once they go out into the yard obviously the birds will be gone, gone yeah. but they can turn over stones, they can look around for creepy crawly spiders, all of these because these a lot of them are part of the food chain for birds anyway so the more habitats you have for these things things are the better. I've been in schools where the whole place is swept and clean and tidy right. and there's nothing, there's no stones, there's no log pile, there's no nothing and the grass is all cut to a millimetre and the hedges are laid in cypress and then they wonder why they haven't got any wildlife. So a so little untidiness is good really Well there's not so much untidiness but I mean planting the right species which we'll be coming mm. to in a moment. So it isn't just looking at the birds in your garden. I mean if you have a lot of invertebrates, a lot of creepy crawlies this is going to add. So I presume they're part of the competition. Absolutely. Just the birds. Yeah not it's just anything, the birds. Anything that moves. Anything that, anything that moves yes. and even just you know many many of the rural schools will have rabbits or they might have foxes or they might have other wildlife that they can record mm-hmm. all of that so it's really to get a, a picture of the wildlife within Mayo and to see what what the children can spot over that uh, period so it's going to run from the 1st of September right through to the 20th of October it's given them lots of time and the uh, oh, the full information about that competition is on the website www.horkins.ie forward slash blog and, uh, is just it confined to only schools in Mayo? Well, or Cagney Ross Common? I was well, just we'll going to say, them, Lena, we, we, thank Of you. course, well, it's, it's open to any school. So, of right. course, we'll allow the Ross Common people in as well. And so, the Galway people too. <laughs> anyone that's listening. Um, so that's going to run. You can actually download the forms from today. So all the full uh, details of the of the computation and survey are right. on the website. Okay, I have to say, I'm going to be very interested to see what comes out of that. Yeah. Just to, and, we'll and, ma- and to see the variations maybe in the different areas. And Absolutely. Like that. And we'll, we'll feature it on the gardening mm. programme a couple of times Great. as well during September. Okay, now we have loads of questions uh, for you guys this morning. Um, so we're going to kind of pick up on some of the ones that have come in already. Um, the first question we have is, are there any trees or shrubs that I can plant that produces seeds or berries for which wild, for wild birds, they have a large garden and they have plenty of room? Gosh, there's lots. There's so, so many plants. Where to start? Well, think about a lot of the burying plants, plants that produce berries in the autumn. So if you've got fantastic plants and easy to grow plants like Cotoneaster canubia makes a beautiful small tree in the garden, white flowers in the springtime, bunches and bunches of red berries, like holly berries from September right through to November and birds love Cotoneaster. Pyracantha which is the firethorn. Again, it's a great climbing plant, it can be used against a wall or it can be used as a hedge, hedging plant if you wish. Uh, particularly the red 
buried varieties are loved by birds. We often get questions in in the gardening programme how to, how to stop the birds, birds yeah. picking the berries. Skimmias are good. Yeah, no, you're talking about gardening plants. Yeah, of I course. want to talk about native Go on. species. Okay. Because, <laughs> because obviously there are more brownie points for our native, our native species. And we're looking at uh, native Irish trees that will have berries on them for a start. So you've got ones with blackberries and ones with red berries. Now the ones with red berries, of course, are very attractive. So we're looking at things like the Rowan, which is the mountain ash, mm-hmm. which makes a very elegant tree. It doesn't grow huge and it'll have, like as you said, flowers in springtime. First of all, it's deciduous so it has nothing. And then the leaves come on and then you get leaves coming, then you get flowers coming, then you get lovely red berries coming. So the tree does something. It doesn't just sit there. Like so it has a, a full life cycle. Like really, a lady cypress yeah. sitting there glaring at you. So you have Rowan, you can deal with red berries, you have Hawthorn. Hawthorn makes a lovely tree, you know, keep the fairies away from it, but otherwise it'll be fine. And again, you're going to get lovely half flowers in the springtime for your bees. Please great love, for the love, bees, love. Yeah. And then you have your, your red berries in the autumn time, which are fine. I mean, it's an awful little expression that says, when all fruit fails, welcome haw. Haws aren't that bad, and who said that? <laughs> because the birds certainly love it. And they're so and, easy to grow. And then you said holly. And I mean, holly holly is a tree that, that, that is very, very fine. I was looking at a holly tree the other day. We had a, a, I had a teacher's course mm-hmm. during the week, and I was up in St. Enders, and there was holly, and we were shaking the holly tree into my umbrella to see what creepy crawlies were in it. And you would think, would they would say well there won't be any in that because the leaves are so hard right. Lord lashings of stuff fell out of it first of all the spiders loved it because they were able to build webs all over it it was full of shield bugs these green fellas which were there loads of green flies so I mean apart from anything else the actual leaves then so thorny then it'll be a place for birds to build their nests because the little birds have protection from nasty things like yeah. magpies and of course the berries on the female ones now mm. the, the, the natural Irish ones are either male or female and um, only the females have berries obviously males like asking your husband to have a baby you can't have this but you would know Porrick being a gardening man that there are um, hollies that are both male and female that's right yeah. so you don't actually need a self fertile no. yeah. so you can get those ones as well and the nice thing about the holly is that it, the berries like the, the the sorbus the mountain ash the berries are actually ripe at the moment mm-hmm. and so they can pick them early in August whereas the holly will ripen later will ripen later so, so it's they a can great, have that by yeah, Christmas yeah, it's black, a great way of black extending black berries then you get things like sloes which are on the on the blackthorn, you get um, things like um, elderberries, which the pigeons absolutely love. Yeah, now, pigeon. I suppose nobody would actually plant elder; they think of elder as weeds. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's great. I have an elder tree in my backyard, and you can hack to be jaded out of it. You can cut lumps off it, and, and it, it comes grow back. again. Yeah. So it can, makes can, great wine. So it makes well, it does. I Super mean, wine. And I mean, <laughs> the thing is that that um, if you, I mean, if you want to have a tree that if you want to put manners on it, I mean, you don't want to be cutting down your lovely tree you're after spending money on. Mm. But but you can you can manipulate your elder, and it's a pity not to have elder in your garden it'll come anyway without being asked it's easy enough to, to get it to grow so these are these are native trees then if you want to have something with nuts you could look at something like the hazel tree again quite a low tree not won't grow that high and you have your you have your hazel leaves and of course hazel as we all know is the tree of wisdom mm. did you know that the salmon of knowledge we all know about salmon of knowledge oh yeah I didn't know about the hazel being well, the tree salmon of wisdom knowledge got all his knowledge from eating the nuts of, of the, the hazel. hazel that fell into the river boy and although I always used to be amazed that he was such a bloody smart salmon oh, and he knew everything caught. how come he got caught <laughs> and then when Finnegas caught him there instead of eating him there and then gives him the Finn McCool to cook he deserved to lose the information from it so hazel the tree of wisdom grow hazel in your gardening and have nuts on that which is a source of food so they they would all be trees and shrubs so the pyracanta and the cotoneas are great berries lovely red berries on that and um, but the other ones will have other aspects 
going for them and you as could well. grow them as a, ones. Yeah. you could grow the many that, that any have spoke about mm. uh, you could grow them as a as a hedge even yes. as a living hedge and you get the flowers Actually, and I, the fruit I, I, think What's lovely, I don't know whether they grow in Mayo because they need more uh, more uh, more limestone so I'll certainly grow in Ross Common would be things like the Gelder Rose and the Spindle oh tree. yeah they do they're, yeah, they're native trees yeah. as well beautiful. and the Gelder Rose has the most beautiful red berries yeah. and the Spindle tree has pinky red berries okay. and these are amazing again they're both native trees so they'll grow really well here and they're quite unusual so part of your wildlife hedge they would look very well in that yeah oh the spindle bush is lovely for even autumn colour beautiful berries the, the, or yeah and, and the leaves and all they, yeah. they go it's unusual. really lovely yeah. yeah and are there are there specific uh, trees and shrubs and you know buried uh, plants that uh, that attract specific birds I mean are there ways if you want to bring in a certain kind of bird into your garden that you can plant certain I didn't mention the, the, the crab apple John John Downey, John Downey some of yeah. those. Now, the, the actual crab apple we have in the hedge the apples are quite large but you can get smaller ones in your garden yeah. that have small little apples thrushes in particular right. love love apples so that they are going to attract in thrushes and in fact in the winter time when we get the migratory thrushes coming in from Scandinavia field fairs and red wings there can be an onslaught of marauding Viking birds Absolutely. And coming huge. in and they gobble the whole lot and are yeah. gone and people are shaking their fists at them well, you know? Generally you see you have you have certain bird species that feed off seeds mm-hmm. like the goldfinches right. or the finches in general and the larger birds like the blackbirds and the thrushes they are tend berries. to feed off berries oh, yeah, right. larger Okay. Um, so, the and things but the, the, the key thing them, yeah. really is to get a, a variety of both plants and and you can attract birds with, with wild bird feed as well through the winter period. Okay, now here's a school kind of feeds on from, from the the competition that you're going to be setting up for. Um, they would like to set up a nature area for the children. They'd love to have birds and wildlife visiting the school garden. Wondering how do they go about doing something like that? Well, again, it's a, it's a matter of, of a mixture of, of planting, so providing the environment that, as Anna says, you can have a very ster- sterile environment where, you know, it's, it's important to encourage uh, places for the birds to nest, so hedgerows and, and trees and shrubs that will attract wildlife into the garden, because it's not just the birds, you, you'll attract the bees in in the springtime when plants are flowering, and the birds then for the autumn period, and then a, a combination of some feeders, maybe a small uh, feeding station or some uh, simple uh, feeding units that you can hang up in, in close proximity maybe to a window to encourage the birds in as well. So okay. it's getting that habitat really. Now you have to sort of think like a bird if it's birds you want. I mean if you decide you're going to make a feeding station or something in the middle of the yard well it won't work and people say I put up a bird table mm. and the birds haven't come. <laughs> but I mean they're not going to leave the shelter of trees, trees to fly across what they looks to them like the Sahara Desert where they could be attacked by anything to get to the oasis in the middle. Sure. That's not the way it's going to work. So if you want to sort of do this you must go out and look at your school grounds is there is there a hedge around it I mean can you start this somewhere where birds are already and extend it into the school grounds where you can get it nearer to the school windows and that rather than setting something up from first principles in the middle of the yard so if you have a hedge maybe then you could maybe take a piece of that into the schoolyard and plant more things around there and proceed from where there is some to where there's more if you have no if you have an awfully sterile place then you'll have to start by planting some trees to begin with to give the birds a chance to come and perch on those and then spy what you 
another thing to mention apart from putting up the bird feeding stations is then is to put up bird boxes yeah. so that you can encourage breeding for of nesting. birds for, for nesting, nesting yeah. and that law will add then to your school being considered by the birds as a haven for them for not only for feeding in the winter time but for habitat to breed in in the summer time for nesting and it's a good time to be thinking about putting up uh, bird boxes because they get an opportunity to weather over the winter period the, 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 so the, the not, newness is going off. It's not like a, going into a newly painted room. Exactly. Of, yeah, which exactly. would be the equivalent so, for a bird. Yeah, so yeah. put them up at this time of year, at least the weather then over the winter period and they're, they're ready to go in the springtime. Very good. Now, a listener has lots of seven foot high sunflowers in bloom. They, they Will they produce seeds for birds? Oh, the lucky they thing to have them. This yeah. is a good year because it was yeah. such a, a great, warm summer. Yeah. Yeah, what happens is the sunflower, as you all know, is like a huge big daisy. You've got the yellow petals all around and the thing in the middle. The thing in the middle is where all the seeds are. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're going to get them all packed in and rows. And once the flowers, once the petals fall off, your seeds are there pollinated and everything well, else. Well, the bees, the bees will have used the sunflowers right through the summer period for pollen and for nectar. So it's, you know, and, and the, the seed will form now over the next six weeks so you leave the sunflowers there to, to allow the birds to pick the seeds once the petals They'll fall off them. leave them there and the heads will then have, have all the seeds in yeah. them so that the whole centre of it is like an enormous daisy so all the centre of each one of those is a little tiny Which flower see, yeah. and each one will have a seed as you could maybe have a hundred seeds yeah, I, was just I, say that. I, I have a little story for you for a friend of mine her mum has um, a bird table and about two years ago they you know were feeding the birds and they were getting seed mix and the following year they had a, he- a look kind of a hedge and the next thing was a load of sunflowers started to come up. Oh yeah. And they yeah. couldn't figure for ages what had caused where and of they course come. it was the seeds. It was the seeds yeah. from, from the birds, yeah. Well, yeah, people do get mad things going under their yeah. under their bird feeders because some of the seeds are stranger things even because you'd recognise sunflowers. Some of the things you don't recognise at all. Where did that yeah. come Absolutely. from? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in a row, you know, like so it was like how did they planted those? Yeah, who yeah. planted those? Then yeah. anyway the mystery was eventually solved. So sunflower is good and yes we have had a great year this year. Um somebody wondering can I sow flower seeds at this time of the year my children would love to sow flower seeds before going back to school uh, flowers for butterflies and bees please yeah and we're, we're having this uh, little debate off air so there's two things that you could look at one is the, the spring flowering bulbs they're yeah. all the, they're all in at this time of year so the, the snowdrops and the tulips and the daffodils the bluebells they're all ready for planting now and the great thing about bulbs is that they're foolproof you know when you buy a daffodil you're buying a plant that's two or three years old it's already grown it's already ready to go all it needs is moisture and heat to grow that's right it's all its food in its suitcase already yeah. packed mm. so you put the bulb in the garden and unless it's eaten by a mouse or something you it really jumps can't out go of the ground. wrong but planting seeds in order to have flowers in September is is the wrong way around because I mean, I'm sorry to say but the days are getting shorter mm-hmm. yeah. it's getting colder and seeds germinate in springtime when we get our flowers in springtime so you can plant your seeds now and they'll grow a little bit but they won't flower because by the time they would flower it's too cold for the bees I mean, there is a cycle of nature and the cycle is flowers in spring and summer, fruits and seeds in autumn, so that by and then those seeds fall to the ground overwinter in the ground and then come up the following spring. So you'd probably get a better return for your stuff if you um, planted bulbs. But on the other hand I'm just thinking of things like kefir lilies and things like this that come from the southern hemisphere yeah. where the summer, where it's only where it's spring southern, down yeah. there. So you've been the gardening man. Oh, if yeah. you any southern hemisphere yeah, things, well, the, the, which are not native and I really go against the grain even to mention them. <laughs> well, but if you do want to see flowers perhaps the, that's the kefir lilies are lovely. Kefir lilies yeah, are lovely. They're yeah. beautiful. Or, or winter aconites will, will 
Well, if you plant them now, they'll be flowering in December early January so you can actually plant cyclamen are actually in flower at the moment which are lovely um, but but going back to the, the seed there's, yes. a, there's a great variety of seed called Nature's Haven it's a range of seed that has been put together specifically for wildlife so it encourages both birds and bees into the garden so plants like Phacelia or Teasel the, the lovely Teasel um, plant which, which the finches Love the the uh, it's produced a small seed like it's a like a mini seed. thistle and yeah seed. like a mini thistle but it's quite a substantial plant so the little birds can actually perch on, on it and pick the seeds yeah. out of it so teas are particularly lovely yeah. and um, it's a nice big architectural plant in your garden too so they would be ones that you For would flower get, arranging yeah. it's a lovely plant mm. but there's a whole range echinopsis that that globe thistle is a great plant as well I was looking at it in the botanic gardens during the summer the bees just love, love. it it's a, a lovely blue kind of ball shaped. Uh, thistle-like like flower. Like an artichoke. Like an artichoke, yeah, 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 exactly. Huge big thing. They're lovely, yeah. The bees love those, but but also they produce a huge amount of small seed, which are ideal, again, for the seed-loving, um, eating birds like, like the goldfinches. So there's a range of different seed, but look for that collection called Nature's Haven. It's, they've kind of packed together the seeds that are suitable for both bees and uh, birds. And uh, that's a quite a good one. Okay, and it keeps everybody going. Yeah. We're going to just take another quick little break, but we still have uh, lots more to come. So stay with us. recover from that very quickly Deirdre. Now Aina Nilana and Boric Horkin are in studio with us and uh, we are getting through some of the questions uh, there are lots coming in. Uh, there was a good one here Aina. I'm going to throw it at you Well first of all can you tell us a bit about swallows somebody's wondering about swallows. Oh yes swallows are great and swallows come and they're the ones that nest inside of the sheds. We have two lots of things. One is that we see nests stuck on the outside of the houses and people think they're swallows nests but they're actually house martins nests so to get swallows they're coming right into your shed, they're right into your barn and they'll nest inside so you have to kind of leave a door or a window or something mm. open so they can zoom in and out and they always come back the, the, the males always come back to the place where they were reared so that we know this from ringing nestlings so they'll build the nests, they'll rear their young and they'll with the young they'll all fly back to Africa and then next year they'll come back to the area where they were born. The males will come right back to where their nests were. Obviously, they're not going to mate with their sisters. Yes. So um, they'll have to get new females and um, you can tell by the rings on them that they've come back. So the young males and the fathers will come back and the swallow can last three or four years so they'll be coming back a few years it's not as if it's a one-off right so that they will they will fly away together they may not necessarily all come back together but once once they've done the journey once the, the swallows are able then to come back then they can navigate by the stars and by the magnetic forces of the earth it's amazing how they manage to get mm. back but they do and the females don't so do we well, know the females come back as well but they but wouldn't I mean obviously they can't yeah, come back so to the same nest the because, same. because yeah. they, but they come back to the same area oh. and, they'll mate and, and that's do the males fun, and yeah. females create the nest together or is yes, it just the males? Yes, they do. The males and females create the nest together. Yeah, once they mate, you see them. It's amazing. It's very equal set up. Yeah. It is, yes. And then they, they, they fly around like little hoovers then sucking up all the insects. It was a good year for swallows this year. They may indeed have two or even three broods. Sometimes they're on a third brood now at this right. time of the year. Oh. And it's been well, a great year for, for, for So bugs. sometimes it's, it's a very yeah. bad year. They, they leave the third brood behind and go off without them because they have to go when they have the fat set up. But this won't happen this year. This breaks people's right. hearts if this happens in your shed. But this year 
has been a great year for swallows, so they'll all be all be heading off. They're and lovely. then if they do have to leave them, then that's not good, obviously, that's for bad, those. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's been it's favorite. been a good year for the bugs, yeah. which is a good year for the, the, the swallows. For the birds. Well. That's yeah. Plenty, yeah, yeah. plenty of insects around yeah. this year. In fact, one way of keeping insects around your garden is to use one of these yokes. Yes. Yeah, so I, I thought these were feeders, but I'm ref- you tell me no, these are bug hotels. Bug hotels, huh? So well, this is like it's this, you know, describe this. I suppose first of all, this is a lump of a silver bird tree, which has been cut. You just look at it from side, it looks like a log you might put in your fire. But when you turn it up on the end, you see the whole centre has been drilled out and it's full of bamboo sticks yes. that have been poked in. So we're looking at a whole lot of holes that go down deep. And these then are places that insects can overwinter because obviously they die off in the winter but if they all died off there wouldn't be any more to come back. So the mated females generally will overwinter and then they'll come out and start the cycle again. So they have to get in some place where they won't freeze to death, where they won't be eaten by other things. So these kind of holes are wonderful for places that ladybirds can go into, that earwigs can go into, that all kinds of beetles that we need in our garden in springtime can overwinter in these sort of places. Now, if the winter was good, like last year, it wasn't so very cold. Mm. Loads of ladybirds managed to survive Mm. the winter. And as a consequence, we had a lot of ladybirds around this year. And everybody loves ladybirds, particularly gardeners, because the ladybirds feed on the green flies. And as a consequence, we had loads of them because we had had places for them to to hibernate. Now, they'll find these kind of places in nature anyway. But if you want to be awfully, um, you know, good and have these, you can purchase the ones that we have here which are lovely wooden ones or indeed you can make one yourself I downloaded something from the internet myself and I'll be talking about this today out in Turlock where you get a set of pallets and put them together and you have all sorts of different things areas of leaves that might encourage even hedgehogs things like big blocks and stones and things that under which you will have things like wood lice or then these bamboo holes where you or get pots small or anything. So you're, kind of, you're, you're providing multiple environments for multiple the different... Environment. The, the, the this is different a hotel with many, many mansions like like heaven yeah. where there are many mansions. <laughs> Bug heaven. And um, even recycled, you know, bricks can be used, pots, lots of material okay. can be used to create oh, yeah, bricks are great. Those, those red bricks that red have bricks holes in them. That, holes, that yeah. might be a really, really good idea for some of your schools For perhaps. the schools it would yeah. be a great way of creating um, a, a habitat for, for insects and, and bugs in general and creepy crawlies. Okay, here's one I think for you, Aina. A listener has heard that feeding birds in the garden draws rats. Is that true? No, no, the rats are probably there already anyway because we have a huge amount of rats. Rats rats will live in communal with, with people at any rate. So it won't draw rats any more than any other untidy habit will. So it, that's not true. I mean, you, you have your bird feeders, you have them, you keep them clean. You make sure that if the stuff comes down and falls on the ground, if you are afraid that rats might come, you might want to sweep that up perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to, to sort of decide that you're not going to have the beauty of birds because there might be a rat when God knows there's probably there's rats probably everywhere. You know, this this is such a such a mean thing to do. You know, I mean the rats I mean if you can be a certain amount, don't put out meat, don't put yeah. out things like a little common sense but but, but feeders hanging up and if you sweep the ground if so much falls out of it and the pleasure you get out of it is amazing and uh, actually you've given me a thought there what about feeding fatty meat and stuff like that to to birds is that that good or bad? Well the fat balls is generally about the ears you know the the fat fat balls are are basically in a suet with a whole range of different seeds Mm. contained within it so they're getting the protein and the fat from from that okay. unit, but you wouldn't feed uh, meat substances to, to, to 
you know, or, they, or they just wouldn't eat, the, eat it presumably. No, I mean, you don't really put out the carcass yeah. of the turkey out on the uh, well, wall. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's like sort of cannibalism. I wasn't quite that. <laughs> no, I wasn't meaning you personally. That was your question. That wasn't the visual I had in my head. But like, uh, sometimes, and sometimes in our head, if there's bacon, they, my, my mum might chop up the bacon fat, and put the fatty bit of bacon and put it out for the Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, but I mean, if she was, you know, being more sort of... But she's not using the carcass. Less busy. You'd put the fatty bits of bacon into the fat bowl. I mean, you would probably get, you know, you're making a roast or something yeah. and there's fat left. If you get yogurt cartons bit, yeah. or something, yeah. pour yeah. it in yeah. and then, you know, Perfect. pack they, them up, oh, that'll okay. be fine, you know? Um, the best place for positioning feeders, that's another question, I suppose, and it kind of maybe feeds on to being the, the sensible aspect of where you where, where you place things. Where is the best place for, for placing feeders and uh, in the garden? Or well, you see, you, what you want is that the birds don't want to feel exposed when they're feeding. And you have awful nasty, sneaky things called pussycats who creep up. A lot of birds are killed in the gardens by cats. Now cats mm-hmm. have to live too. So you have to look at it from a point of view of a bird. They don't want it to be so near a wall that a lurking pussy can walk past and nap at them. On the other hand, as I said, they're not going to fly across acres of cement to your feeder pristinely in the middle on a pole or something like that. So you have to sort of have trees and then from the trees they can fly a little short distance to the feeder and back again. So sometimes people have branches of their trees, mm. you know, sticking out and they hang the feeders on those. There's wonderful feeders you can get with, with sticky bits on them that you can actually stick onto the windows. And some of the birds will come along and feed on those, which is very nice. But but the thing is, the bird, if it's disturbed, has to be able to get cover fairly quickly by flying off again so that it mustn't be near enough that cats can be at it. It mustn't be right in in a hedge where predators like, say, sparrowhawks, Mm. although sparrowhawks are lovely too, but that they can nip over the hedge and grab them. So you want to think that it's near enough that they're not flying over acres of space that w- exposed. Mm. On the other hand, it mustn't be so near to to places that cats can go by or that um, sparrowhawks can nab at you. So, sort of, if I had a tree now, this is where I was in growing my elder tree. I have a couple of the branches of the elder tree sticking out like stalks. Yeah. And the other ones cut back so that you can hang them on the end of that. And in fact, sometimes if you have a clothesline, you can hang a feeder on your clothesline just near to where the hedge so is, but near, not quite near on near cover, but not but uh, not, not fully yeah, if, you, if you have a few broadleaf trees like silver mm. birch, there that makes an ideal because it's not too dense, plenty of like getting in and yet they've got some protection and some perching spots as well. And that works very well too. Yeah, really well. What do wasps do? Wasps do wonderful things. I think wasps are the best thing ever. How long is the programme going to last? <laughs> you have about two minutes now. <laughs> two minutes well, I think you better come along. You better come along today to turn up. Come to the talk. Wasps are, are carnivores and they spend their time eating um, green flies and aphids and white flies and black flies. They chew them up, they bring them back to their nest and they feed their young with it. But baby wasps are fed a different food to adults. So the baby wasps are eating the chewed up green flies. The adults eat sugar and all summer long the sugar they get comes out of the grubs in the nest they exude this sweet spittle right. so here's your dinner lick lick here's your dinner lick lick and we're never bothered with wasps are we all summer long no. it's only when it's only autumn now, time yeah. comes when the queen dies when the last of its generation is there so the queen has laid the last round of eggs and died they're there there's no one to feed so that's great no work to do but they've no one to lick boo hiss and now they have to go and find so it's that last generation of wasps for six weeks that are going around looking for sugar. So they come in because they can smell 
Something flowers. And yeah. if you're after shampooing your hair in Timothée and you have links onto your oxters and you have your clothes washed and ready and in comfort, should the poor old wasps okay. think you that you're a flower? And then when they come near you, you whack them. And then you get mad if they sting you. I think it's so unfair. Who pretended to be a flower? Who attacked first? Who didn't have any food? Let's hear it for the wasps. If the well, wasps vanished, your garden would be a much worse place all summer the, long with all those aphids and green That's it. The wasp is the gardener's friend from, from March right through to late August. They're hoovering up literally hundreds and hundreds of, of green fly off your roses and black fly in. So they're they're very, very beneficial. Okay, I, 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 I suppose it's just that latter part. And they, that when they do come in, it's they seem a little aggressive. Yeah. And Wash your hair with coal tar soap and use carbolic soap on the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> wood lice, are wood lice harmful to my plants? How can I get rid of them? No, no I, this no. is the wild life programme, not yeah. the wild death programme, I'm not yeah. telling you. Anyway, wood lice are free dustbin men. They, they break down all the dead plant material and you don't like the look of them. You don't have to marry them. They don't do any harm to plants, you know, unless you had, you know, small seedlings or something, but they do no harm to plants whatsoever. And as, as Anya says, they're there to... They break down the dead the, the That's dead exactly what they things. do, yeah. And recycle the nutrients yeah, back They're like the earthworms. They're free, they're free um, dustbin men, yeah, so you should be delighted with them. Uh, just back briefly to the wasps again. Somebody says they've got wasps in their attic. What can they do about them? Do they do they die at the end of yes, the, the year? Yes, the whole nest will just be gone by Halloween. So just don't go up there till after Halloween. You don't need Santi's decorations and things down on November so st- keep away till that's over. Just ignore them. Uh, hedgehogs. Somebody's wondering about hedgehogs. I suppose we have been focusing a little bit maybe on the birds. Um, uh, are there are there hedgehogs in store? Is there, is there different kinds of hedgehogs now? Are we talking about the physical ones I wonder? Or? Well no, hedgehogs, well, hedgehogs are a protected species so yeah. you can't mm. trade in them. I hope you haven't got no, them in your no, store no, yeah. no, no, because no. you shouldn't have. They're, they're wild animals and of course they feed on slugs, slugs and, snails, and snails and people yeah. are delighted to have them. And Are they hard to attract or do we all have hedgehogs secretly in our gardens? Well you can create a little, a little shelter or a little habitat yeah, for them and encourage them into mean. your garden. Yeah. But the trouble uh, is the hedgehogs are looked shuled to a certain extent that they'll they'll march they'll through. Rush. They won't make your garden their, their, home. their home. They'll come for a few weeks. Each, so they're but kind they of happy wanderers. Happy wanderers, in fact. But if you have a shed or something up on blocks to keep lots of leaves under it, you might get them to spend yeah. the winter there in hibernation. And that'd be great because they might breed then and get have little ones in the garden and they'll stay if they're if they're feeding young. You know, they they come to dog, dog food, food. But yeah. do not feed them with bread and milk. Enid Blyton, who said this, was a storyteller for kids. She was not a biologist. So do not feed hedgehogs with bread and milk. They have diarrhoea and the runs. It'll be awful for them. They're carnivores. They're carnivores. if you want them, dog food is, or else hopefully they're eating their stains and slugs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Somebody was wondering about magpies then, that like I suppose magpies, we associate them with, uh, I suppose, chasing the smaller birds away. Is there any, uh, what what does one one do to uh, control the magpies then? One for sorrow, two for joy. (laughs) Cut down all your trees. Magpies build their nests on the tops of tall trees and they keep an eye on the vicinity around right. and they certainly will nab any small birds that they can get. Now, small birds, of course, have huge amounts of babies and if we didn't have control of them, I think two robins are going to have four baby robins twice a year in your garden. So you have two robins the first year, you have 10 robins the second year, you have 40 robins the third year, you have 180 the next year. I mean, if it's they just all survive. They have if they all survive. So, like, I mean, so they, they overproduce. So if you have plenty of cover in your garden, plenty of hedges, you leave lots of 
litter, leaf litter and stuff under the hedge. You're not cleaning and tidying. Mm. There's places, if you have holly, if you've got blackthorn, you've got hawthorn, the, 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 the magpies can't get in there. So magpies have to live too, but they don't have to live at the expense of your birds in your garden. So make your garden magpie-proof by putting in plenty of thorny bushes for your birds to nest in. OK, I know we've just touched on things uh, on the programme this morning, but do go along because 12 to 2 Porrick today. 12, 12 o'clock to 2, 2 o'clock, we have some wildlife talks with Enya and tomorrow then we have uh, the birds of prey. So that's work coming along as well from 12 o'clock right through to 5 o'clock. And the birds will be, the birds of prey will be flighting at 2 and 5 o'clock tomorrow, but they'll be there to, uh, to see and to talk to the instructors as well. So an action-packed weekend. Great stuff. Anna, thank you so much for coming pleasure. in this morning. It, it was, was a pleasure, pleasure and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again at some point in the future. Um, a great weekend starting off Heritage Week at Horkins in Castlebar. Don't miss it. We're back again next Saturday after 7. Michael Neary is up next for the moment. Good morning to you.